This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Um, you have tuned in to a really good episode, and I've kind of known this. I'll be honest, I've known this for probably about a month-ish since I got this guy scheduled. Um, I'm super excited. Like This is going to be an all-Kentucky episode. Uh, we got two dudes. Actually, we live like two counties away from each other, um, pretty much at the same type of school in the same environments. Um, and we're going to talk about some stuff that I know that he is passionate about and definitely something that I'm passionate about. So you are absolutely in for a treat with episode 2.11. Um, this is Mr. Garris Stroud. First off, he is a middle school educator and uh, middle school is a different environment. It's kind of like it's like the jelly in the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, it's like right squeezed in the middle and you get a little bit of the high school, a little bit of the elementary. Um, but he's also outside of that. He is the Rural Ed Voices founder and the chief editor. He is the 2020 where he was the 2020 Kentucky Teacher of the Year finalist. He is a National Geographic Education grantee facilitator and educator from beautiful Muhlenberg County, Kentucky, and above else, all else, he is a hubby and a dog daddy. So without further ado, Mr. Garris, thank you for being on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I have to say, out of all of those titles that you just named, uh, and I, by the way, I love the shout out to beautiful Muhlenberg County. It is. It uh, is. My favorite would be, of course, being a husband. And then next would be being a teacher. Those are the two most important titles to me. Absolutely, man. For sure. Um, yeah. And so my to my guests out there, um, we are actually in the kind of the same spot, like Western Kentucky. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about something that I know you're passionate about something I'm definitely passionate about. And I know we have actually some viewers from all over um, that work in some similar situations. And so I'm really excited to get down to this business. But, um, you know, Garris, one thing I really, really believe in is that connections before content piece. Um, it is that relationship building before you get to anything else. And so I really try to model that. And so at the beginning of all of these things, I want to know a little bit about you. And then, you know, if you know a little bit about me, I just feel like, you know, we can learn a lot from each other. Sure thing. So I grew up in Muhlenberg County. Um, interestingly, I think a lot of folks who know me may not believe this of me, but I actually grew up on a cattle farm. Oh, right. And so I've spent a lot of my life surrounded by just good country people. 
Yeah. Um, and here in a little bit, when we get to talking about rural education and rural communities and, and all that kind of thing, I think you'll see a little bit of my, my passion come from those experiences. But I uh, went through local schools, uh, local middle school, local high school, went to Murray State. Uh, had a Go great, racers. Exactly. Well, well, on that, I don't know if you've looked at your bracket. I have. But there's a very possible chance yes. that Murray State might have to play Kentucky in that second round, and I'm not thrilled about that. But, uh, but until that happens, I'll say go Cats and then go Racers. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I went to, to Murray State. And, you know, I worked with some amazing professors at Murray State and fell in love with sort of the research sure. and, and all that kind of world behind uh, education and wanted to do the grad school track and have, like, these big dreams of doing a Ph.D., that kind of thing, and actually turned down a full ride at Auburn University to do that kind of work to go straight into the classroom. Yeah. Right. Because I really felt like that was where the action was. Um, and, you know, no offense to the researchers and, and all that kind of work, cause that's important, but being with the kids and actually teaching them and being a part of their lives and impacting them the same way that I've had so many teachers impact my life was what I quickly learned I wanted to do. So that's kind of how I got into yeah. the education game. And since then, you know, this is my sixth year teaching uh, all in the same district. And it's my third year at the middle school that I work at. Uh, and it's just a, it's a great place. I've had a lot of great experiences. Uh, I mean, some of the things you just said kind of in the little bio there that you did. Uh, I do a lot of work with National Geographic because I'm a huge supporter of their work. I'm a science teacher. They have great sure. science resources. Yes, they do. So uh, I get to lead the geo inquiry course for science teachers and well, not just science teachers, geography teachers, social studies teachers, whatever, English teachers, foreign language, uh, you know, there's all kinds of room in Nat Geo's resources for all kinds of teachers out there. Um, so I facilitate those classes and I get to learn alongside Nat Geo explorers. And so that's pretty awesome. And then I do a lot of writing. Uh, I write a lot about my practice and just reflecting about the profession and sort of where we are and where we're going and I think that keeps me uh, sort of like, I always like this image of like a drone, like yeah. above the system looking down yeah. and seeing it not just within the perspective of my own classroom, but like the system as a whole. And that's really refreshing for me. It gives me a lot of different perspectives on teaching and it keeps me learning, which I love because as a, a teacher, I'm also a learner. Absolutely. And so there's First a lot foremost, of power in that. You're right. Yeah, no, a lot of what you said, man, totally resonates with me. Um, I love the part where you talked about you fell in love with research. I love learning research, um, even if it is not, you know, if you wouldn't think on the on the sub level that it's connected to education. Love it. Like like for me, psychology loves the psychology of education, the motivation. But I also love the neuroscience, too, and um, trauma informed practices kind of. But I, yes, I could geek out about that stuff all day long. Um, so now that we know a little bit about you, um, I want to ask you, actually, this is going to be a brand new question for you. Um, it's kind of kind of a, it's a play on what I've done in the past, but I decided to spice it up a little bit tonight. And so um, my first thing we always talk about is what's up at the Scott House. And so I'm going to tell you in three words what is going on in my life. And then I'm going to kick it back to you and uh, tell everybody out there what's going on in Garris's life. So 
my life in three words hike snake and 911 okay so that is a frightening combination okay okay but but stick with (laughs) me they do go along and so um i just got done with a three-day 37 mile hike in beautiful southern illinois um if anybody out there wants to google it google shawnee national forest like one of the prettiest places um in all of the midwest amazing camping amazing hiking and so my uh, best friend came down from wisconsin we took my dog houston and we hiked for three days first night was 24 degrees very cold but um rest of it was awesome um the whole time we were looking for snakes here's the funny part this is where the snake comes in so the first night i call home to check on the kids and my wife's like Ryan, you need to get home. And I said, honey, I can't get home. She goes, Ryan, there was a snake in the bathroom today. And I was like, what? Because we've been looking for snakes out in the woods for two days. And, and yeah, she was like literally, um, I know she won't listen to this, but she was on the toilet and a snake slithered between her legs. Um, and she um, quickly dispatched a broom and killed a snake. Um and here's where the 911 comes in. So I've got a five-year-old daughter. She's a, um, let's just say she's full of fire and, and uh, other stuff. And her and my wife got into a little argument. And Amelia decided she was going to pick up the phone and call 911. So she called 911 on my wife. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very amazing weekend while daddy was gone. Uh, my wife was very happy for me to be back in the building. Um, so that's my world in three words, three words. What's your three words, Garris? Oh goodness. I don't know <laughs> that I can top that. I'm going to say, so I'll start with the word support. Okay. Uh, because right now I'm in my home office and I'm having this great conversation and right outside that office door, my wife is working to just keep everything in the household together. <laughs> um, we have a Shih Tzu outside that Uh-oh. wants to see her dog dad. And so she's <laughs> keeping her from barking and she's probably yeah. got dinner going and, and who knows what else. She's, she's amazing. So uh, she gives me all the support that I need. Excellent. Uh, and, you know, I would say behind. Okay. <laughs> Uh, because if you're a teacher in 2022, you're behind in some way all the time. Um, I've got copies to make. <laughs> I've got lesson plans for next week. I got to do, oh. um, yeah. And even things I haven't thought of, you know, I'm just, I'm behind. Uh, but also I guess this doesn't really go along with it. Planning. Yeah. I always am trying to plan for the next big thing. And so I'm glad now I know you like to hike. My wife and I are hiking in peru this summer oh. we're going to machu picchu we uh <laughs> planned this before covid we planned like this great itinerary and so we saved up and we you know and then covid hit yep. in 2020 and so that got canceled for that summer and so we put it off for two years it looks like we're finally going to get to do it this july so we've got a lot of planning going on and i've got to get uh, caught up on all the stuff that i'm behind on because of my planning i guess now but uh but that's kind of life at the Stroud yeah, household. Yeah. Phenomenal, man. Yeah. Have fun on that. And I cannot wait to see some pictures. Yeah, it should be great. We're really, really excited. We hope that it works out. Fingers crossed that the COVID situation is getting better and everything. Okay. I'll keep my uh, fingers but, crossed. But we'll see. Too. 
Okay. Okay. So this next thing we like to do um, is called the two for two. And so I've got two questions for Garris completely off the topic of education. Um, although now when I look at the first question, it's eerily related to education. So uh, we'll just say, <laughs> we're, yeah, so I'll take that back. I've got two questions for Garris. He's going to love them. And then he's going to ask me. Um, but this is a question that is kind of spurred from this idea that I've had recently um, about making electives in high school um, just amazing like passion projects for the teachers, things that the teachers are really passionate about, just teach an elective about it. It doesn't matter if you're a science teacher, if you want to teach an elective on something that you're really passionate about, like hiking, um, let's make it somehow into an elective. And so I have a question for Garris. Garris, if you could teach an, an elective on literally anything, what would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. So, I love learning about different cultures and different places in the world because I love to travel. I love to explore. Um, I'm huge into the whole national geographic thing. That's kind of the whole point, right? Right. So I would want to teach an elective global learning course. Oh, very, very cool. And I don't know exactly what that would look like um, as a science teacher, But I think just learning about other cultures and other places in the world and even involving students in that learning so that I am learning alongside them, because teaching and learning is an inherently cultural experience, Sure, I think could be so powerful. And man, I would just learn so much. I would learn so much. So I would love to do that. Okay. No, I like that's a great idea. I've I've traveled. I've been to Europe several times, been to Mexico a couple of times. Um, yeah, I love to travel and I cannot wait. Um, we are, we are tempted cause I've got some really good friends over in Sweden that we are free to go anytime. Um, he actually jumps out of helicopters for a living and rescues people in the Baltic ocean, Baltic sea. Um, we want to take all of our girls over there. But, um, so if I could teach an elective on anything at all, um, I think, so I, I listened to, I listened to Brene Brown's podcast, Dare to Lead, about every day. And she had a guest on there that teaches at Yale University. She teaches the most. um, So she teaches a class that is the most taken of any class ever in the history of Yale. And it's all about happiness. And it's all for. I've heard of this. Yes. So it's all for freshmen. And it teaches them all about being happy and mental health issues. And I would love to teach a class on that um just talking about life and uh so that that's that's the one i would do um you know you can take that class it's on one of those like open source university programs like coursera and i think there's some other ones i'm writing Uh, it down not like i have any time to actually do it yeah but you can daydream about doing it while you're (laughs) putting out a thousand (laughs) other fires you know, in the no. education world. Um, but yeah, for any listeners, that's yeah. it's out there somewhere. You can yeah. Google that, I'm sure, and find Yeah, that. you totally need to listen to it. I I uh, was invited by our senior level English teacher to teach her seniors one day about stress, coping mechanisms, and kind of talk about my own life journey. And um, those kids ate it up. They loved it. They came back wanting to know more about it. Um, so, okay. My second question, Garris, 
maybe maybe you have a um maybe you're better at this than me but i love a late night snack like um my wife often catches me sneaking into the kitchen um eating something i probably shouldn't so garris what is your favorite guilty snack at 9 p.m it's got to be taco bell for me oh taco bell okay yeah now as for my order i mean it just depends but you can never go wrong with a 9 p.m. Taco Bell run. Okay. Okay. I like it. In college, I used to time it just right. If I were watching either the Wildcats play or the Racers play, uh, I could time it for my college dorms, Taco Bell during halftime. I could run. Right on. Know, grab some buddies, do my Taco Bell run, get right back in time for the second half. It was great. That's a taco head for you. Yeah. All right. Garris, what questions do you have for me, my friend? Okay. So – here in a little bit, we're going to start talking about our communities and right. what it's like to grow up in the country or in right. small town USA and what schooling looks like. So I know we come from kind of similar backgrounds. If someone from a completely different part of the world or different part of the country came to your town, what would a one day tour look okay. like? Where would you take that person? Okay. So, okay. so let me clarify. Do you want where I'm currently living or where I grew up? I'm going to let you pick based on what you think would be interesting, but you want to give this person a real sense of the identity of this town, the culture of this town, like what, what either how it helped okay. make you become the person that you are now or okay. you know, contributes okay. to your identity in a recurring way. Okay. So, um, okay. I'm just going to go, um, the town that I, that I live in now, which is Henderson, Kentucky. I've been here 20 years, give or take. Um, so if you were to come to Henderson, Kentucky, a couple of places, I would absolutely take you, uh, first off, I would take you beginning of June to the WC handy blues music festival. Um, we have that every June on the banks of the Ohio river. It is a phenomenal three, four night totally free concert um tons of fun like some pretty big name act blues musicians um i would take you there we would go downtown to a little bar called rookies and the reason i say that is because i worked for about five years there as a bartending bartender going through school as a non-traditional adult student um a lot of where i cut my teeth as far as just talking to people being real um, learning kind of the value of conversation relationships, um, built some really good relationships, that place. Um, it really felt like cheers at the time. Um, then we would go to my friend's pizza place, which is called rock house pizza, which is also right there on the river. I'd, I would get you some Bosco sticks which if anybody out there does not know what a Bosco stick is, it is a cheese stick filled with cheese um, or a breadstick filled with cheese. Oh, God, you'd love it. So that's what I would do if I brought you to Henderson, Kentucky. So I live in a little town called Greenville, Kentucky here in Muhlenberg County. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that it would make a big tour itinerary. <laughs> like if, if we were calling a travel agent, I don't know yeah. that they would include it on the, uh, on, in the plans, so to yeah. speak, but, uh, but we'd have to listen to some bluegrass music because that's, this is where Mel Travis is from. Yeah. I'll get my, other, my uh, banjo out. Greats. I'll join you. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I picked up banjo a couple of years ago and I'm not great, but I was, I just remember thinking it was, it was during the quarantine. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, there's never going to be a better time. Yep. And no one would will ever believe that I can actually do this. So I learned a couple of tunes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we'd have to listen to some bluegrass music. And then, you know, we've got some pretty good places to eat down here in Muhlenberg County. Uh, Phillies is a great place to catch a game, hang out with some friends. Uh, and then Stellions in okay. Central City. You ever been to Stellions? I have not. I'll have to look it up. Relatively new. It's oh, okay. maybe two years, okay. a little over two years, but they've got these massive pizzas i feel like i could put on 15 pounds just looking at, at one of those things then i'm in and milkshakes for days as the kids would say these <laughs> giant milkshakes with all kinds of confections and candies it's just it's glorious so we we'd go gorge ourselves there and and i don't know we we talk basketball we talk college sports and that's right yeah sounds good man um okay is is that your two questions or do you have another one? I think that was just one. I've got another one. Do it. Do it. Shoot it. So what is one thing that you are excited about today? One thing that I am excited about today. I'll be honest. Like today was a really good day at school. I got to interact with tons of kids. Um, really good interactions with kids. I have a couple kids. You know, we always have struggling kids, but a couple kids that finished um their coursework. So they're done for the year as far as graduating, ready to graduate that we didn't think we're going to graduate. Um, so I'll be honest, I'm just really excited to go back to school tomorrow. You know, I think that's kind of what every teacher lives for. If, if you can finish a day and then genuine say, you know, that was pretty darn good. Let's do it again tomorrow yeah. and mean it. Then yeah, that's, that's about as good as it gets, honestly. That's exactly yeah, I mean, I'm there with you. We've we have had a lot of disruptions this year, and I don't mean my school, my district. I mean Every, everyone. All if you're in a school. There's been a lot of disruptions. Yep, yep. And you know, I think just looking around at the people that I work with and the kids that I work with, and seeing them still feeling genuinely fulfilled to do this work, even in spite of all of the external disruptions, that's exciting. Um, and it it really fills me with joy, I guess, as, yeah. as corny as that might sound like no. that's a thing of joy. No. And it reminds me that there's a lot of meaning in this work. Absolutely. I uh, dream. One of my dreams is a purpose, purpose driven school where every single, every single person in that building from the front office to the back kitchen uh, believes that they are there for a purpose and they know their purpose. I just, you know, I just truly feel when you're purpose led, it makes the makes the tough days a little bit easier. Um, so yes, I, t I totally agree with you, man. Um, since we are on this vein of education, let's just, let's just jump in. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. I know what you're going to bring up, so I'm ready to do it. Are you, um, good to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. So the first question, uh, you know, obviously this is the big ed idea. So we want to connect the visions of one with the passions of another. Uh, Simon Sinek always said it best, you know, not everybody's got to have the vision. Sometimes it takes one person's vision, another person's passion. Let's connect them and let's get this, you know, big ball of awesomeness going. And so uh, before we can talk about that, though, I got to know what Garris sees as a problem in education. Not the right. problem, but a problem in education. I'm going to throw a lot out there and we can okay. unpack it, I guess, as we go. 
but rural schools and rural communities are judged. They are under-resourced and they are disadvantaged and there are not enough people talking about it. First off, amen, amen, and I'll give you another amen. Absolutely. I've been the principal of an elementary in a rural community where the coal industry was decimated. Um, now I am a assistant principal at a high school at a rural community where the coal business has been decimated. Um, I completely agree, man. That's actually something I was just talking about with our superintendent today. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends in big cities. I have nothing against people that talk in the big city. But a lot of the time, a lot of the focus on issues with education is drawn into the urban setting. So much so that you, what you're saying, the rural education, um, I mean, like you said, our, our funding is abysmal because we're property tax based. Um, lack of resources, horrible. Um, I don't know what Muhlenberg is like, but when we have teacher vacancies, we don't get a lot of people that apply because there's just not a lot of people in the, in our community. And so I totally agree, man. Totally. Um, if you want to expand on that, do it. Yeah. So I'll piggyback off of a couple of points that you made. So again, this is not a rural versus urban no. sort of argument. No, no. I feel like our discourse about nearly every social issue in this country has become so divisive. And one thing that we want to establish right up front is this is not us versus them. It's not rural versus urban. It's not either or. It's both and. Absolutely. When we turn to places like the Courier Journal or those major media outlets, they tend to be talking about urban schools and urban school districts. And yes, there are changes needed, there are reforms needed, and we can fight for those reforms while also advocating for changes in rural schools. Yes. It's entirely possible to stand for both of those things. Yes, absolutely. So let's establish that right out the gate. And then to answer a couple of your other, or to kind of address some of your other points, uh, yes, we fund our schools based on our tax base. And when you live in a rural community, which is, sort of by definition, smaller, it's more isolated. You don't necessarily have those tax bases. Much at And all. so what impact does that have on the funding of our schools? And what impact does that have on our kids and their learning, our teachers' ability to teach and the resources that they have to do it with? Absolutely. I don't know. So there are a lot of points of departure just right there, and we can get into any one of those. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, two points I'm going to make. Um, you know, if you look at the so if you look at the pie and I'm, and I'm going to talk about Kentucky, but I would imagine it's like this in a lot of in our a lot of our states here in the states. Um, but if you look at the pie that our schools get, you know, there's a portion that's federal funding. There's a portion that's state funding. And then there's local there's there's portion that is that is local funding um, within the last 20 years. The proportion that we have gotten from the state has been drastically reduced um, from what it once was to where now local taxes are are kicking in a pretty sizable chunk of the funding. Um, and as Garris is, is from Muhlenberg County, which if anybody out there does not know, it was a huge coal producing um, county. 
And I work in Webster County, which was also a huge coal producing county. And in the state of Kentucky, coal was taxed as property. And so when that coal was being mined, um, the county was getting that share of the taxes. Um, and again, this is not a, we're not trying to divisive. It's nothing, but with the decline of the coal industry, you know, facts are facts. We got less money. Um, second thing I want to address, one of the things that I'm actually currently researching, writing a book about, um, is about this gap between the high income and low income students that has, um, literally has been here since 1969 has never, um, gotten any less and is actually growing. Um, and since 1969, urban populations have had, had higher poverty rates than urban populations across the board. And so we've got a pretty large proportion of our students that are already more likely to live in poverty and more likely to be under-resourced, um, which is never hey, a Can good I jump thing. in there really quickly? Yeah, go ahead. And that poverty is different. You yeah. Know, oh, not only is totally. there more of it yes. in these pockets of rural communities, but poverty does not look the same across contexts. You know, and that's not to say like, oh, well, these people, they not have it better. better poverty. People. That's not what we're saying. Yeah, no, poverty is good. No, no, that's not what we're saying. No. But if you live in an area where there are more opportunities and you don't live in an education desert. Yep then it is reasonable to think it may be easier to escape poverty because yeah. you have access to those resources. Yeah. And what often happens is that rural communities don't have access to those resources in the way that, you know, if I lived in Louisville, there are several universities that I can attend. Yeah. If I live in Webster County, Muhlenberg County, Hopkins County, uh, there's a really good community college. Right. But if that option doesn't work for me for some reason, then, you know, it's pretty much an education desert outside of that. I'm going to have to go an hour away to get some sort of post-secondary ed. Yeah. And, and, I and would so even, that's a real problem. And, the, and I, I definitely want to interject there too. Um, with the, the, the changing workforce, if you're in a rural area with no skills, there are very little opportunities for you to learn, to earn a living wage. Um, now, if you have a skill, in these rural counties, you know, you can, you can do pretty well if you're skilled. Um, problem is we have a lot of people now that are in, a, in the skill gap because, you know, they were trained for one thing and that industry closed. And now, now what do they do? But um, Garris, we could talk about this. Poverty is something I am super interested in. Um, but what is your big ed idea? Let's get into it. My big ed idea is simply giving a voice to people in rural communities so that they can speak up and propose solutions that work for their communities. Yep. So when you look at who's talking about education issues, they do tend to primarily, uh, that, that does primarily take place in urban areas. Yeah. And even if you look at mainstream media, those, those are populated in, among cities. And so what sometimes happens, and I think this is unintentional, is that the solutions that get proposed or just the, the rhetoric that is used, it's aimed at people who live in cities already. Sure. And those solutions may not necessarily work in rural communities. And even I imagine if you're a legislator and you live in a place like Frankfurt, 
where you're working across the aisle with people from all over the state, you're trying to find solutions that can reach a majority and can be passed and sent on to the governor for a signature. And that's great when that happens because it happens so, so rarely these days. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what I was but unfortunately say. it leaves out a lot of really important information about the context because rule doesn't even look the same in every context. What's rule to someone might not look like what's rule to me. And, uh, and, you know, that really brings into another conversation. So I guess we really should have started here, too. Do you know what the definition of rule is from the U.S. Census Bureau? No, but I want to hear it. So if you look at the U.S. Census Bureau's definition of rule, it is anywhere that is not urban. Now, what's the problem with that definition? Okay, that is this, such a sweeping generalization. So, OK, so suburban is rule. So suburban could be included in a metro area. So not necessarily suburban, but just think about all these vast swaths of land we have across this country. That doesn't I make mean, sense. The, yeah. So you could have a town of 30,000, 40,000 people. That's a small town. That's rural, whatever. That's Madisonville. That's where I teach, right? I don't think they're 40,000. They're like 20 something thousand, right? But uh, also that could be out west somewhere in Montana and Idaho and Wyoming. And it's a ghost town. There yeah, might right. be a couple hundred people. Right. And you know what? That's that's also rural. But the solutions that are needed to make education work in those two different communities I just described are very, very different and super hard to address in things like policy where you're just trying to get a majority. Yeah. So yeah. that takes me back to the big ed idea. What's going to work to fix the problems that rural America faces getting better leaders in rural America? who have a strong voice and bold ideas who can advocate for solutions that make sense for their local communities. And I, I yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm about to scream testify and, you know, stand up on my pew <laughs> and, you know, do the stomp or whatever. No, I cannot, I cannot agree with you more Garris. Um, I often feel um, I'm a firm believer in the community schools. I wish we could bring back, a school for every community, um, you know, that used to be that, that gathering place where people, you know, that was the, where that was like the, 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 the center of the community. Um, and we've gotten away from that. And I feel like it, that's not a good thing. Um, I also feel like um, our school systems should almost have a seat on the city planning or the county planning commission especially in the economic development department. Um, for me, um, our high schools should be, could be, should be churning out workers for our rural communities. Um, and, and, and hear me when I say this, hear my heart. Um, our rural communities, in my opinion, focus too much on sending kids to college and not enough about the skills and the tech and the things that our rural communities need. And, and, and I'll, this is why I'll say that the, the brain drain is very real and there's nothing about nothing against sending a kid to college. But if you send a kid to college and they earn a degree that they can't even do anything with in your community, is that kid even going to come back? You know, so why don't we instead 
work with our local business and our work or even work with the economic development agencies, who are they trying to bring in? Okay, so let's look five years down the line and let's, you know, what are we going to hit at the high school level that that can churn out these kids that are ready to work? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording this just about how kids from my county are moving to, to your county. Yeah. And I don't know what all the connections are, but undoubtedly there, there has to be an economic side of it, right? There, there is. are jobs it's, there they're that they're, for whatever reason aren't in my well, county. And it's not jobs. It's, it's not jobs. They have family. Family. Okay. So it's that familial connection. They just need a place to live. Well, okay. Yeah. Shared sense of identity and people yep, yep, that yep. you can. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But in my community, it is jobs yeah. because so Muhlenberg County, where I live, used to be the number one coal producing county in the world. Oh, I entire did not know. planet. I did not know that for some number of years. Yeah. I, I don't know how long it was, but we're, we're very proud of that. Yeah. And in fact, we we're talking about bluegrass music. John Prine wrote the song Paradise. Yep. For any listeners who are fans of bluegrass yep. music, down by the Green River where Paradise lay. And that was a reference to a now defunct coal mining town called Paradise, Kentucky, which is okay. here in Newburgh County. And yeah, we, so another claim to fame, we had the world's largest shovel <laughs> because of all of our coal mining. Okay, fame, right? right on. So, well, what do we know about coal mining? That's all, that's going away, right? And that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get into that. No. But when any industry leaves, jobs leave, it impacts schools, it impacts the tax base. And what are you left with? And that's the question that our community leaders are wrestling with right now. And, and truthfully, they've been wrestling with for a decade Hours because two. we have failed to diversify. We put all our eggs in the energy basket and that's great when you've got the jobs, but the jobs, they're not here. And so we need industry yeah. and we need to bring those industries in. And then, like you said, we need to get our kids working with those industries, yeah. you know, career and technical ed, is where is the at. future Absolutely. in a lot of rural communities like yep. yours and like mine. Yep. And I see this vision of getting industries in our community and then partnering our students with those industries so that they're growing their own future employees. And that in turn is going to address that, that skills gap that you were mentioning because yep. they are going to have access to the technology, to the people with the knowledge and the skills to mentor them. And they're going to come out and they're going to make more money than I am with two master's degrees and good for them for doing that, you know, but it goes back to this. So I always say, no matter where you are, urban, suburban, rural, our students need two things. They need windows and they need mirrors. And the idea behind that is if you think about windows and mirrors, uh, one to reflect inward to see yourself to see people who look like you amen speak like you have lived experiences like you have had but also to look outward about what could be if you want it and uh you know not everywhere in rural america do our kids have both mirrors and windows uh one thing that that i am proud of is that our kids for the most part they can look at their teachers and say i have teachers who can connect with me because we have the same lived experiences. Yep. You know, we know what it's like to grow up in a small town. We both came from this place. We played basketball on the same court. We eat at the same restaurants. We cheer for the same team. And that's great. But 
We also need more of our kids in rural America being able to see people who don't look like them and who don't have their experiences. And I mean that across a number of experiences. I mean that culturally. Yep. I mean that in terms of those who have gone to college and they can talk that life and can bring that back and, and encourage kids because there are a lot of kids who they, they need to go to college Mm -hmm. and they may not have seen that in their family members growing up, but in order to, to really unlock the dreams that they have, they they need a college education. But then also for those who, uh, who, who don't need a college education, who want to work with their hands because that's honorable work. And they want to go off and get those skills and bring it right back here and build a family here and, and build a business here. There's value in both of those. And, you know, it's on us and it's on our leaders to provide our students with those mirrors and those windows so that no matter what a child's dream is, he or she can access it. True. Man, that was deep, but that was true. And that was real. And I love it. Um, so here's my, here's one of my ideas and, and here's the story that it came from. So I had this student 15, um, fell in every single class, like not doing anything. Um, good, good kid, not a behavior kid. Um, I bet I built a good relationship with him. And one day he was in my office, we were just chatting and I'm, and I, and I found out the reason he doesn't do his work on the side at night, he was building online servers for a software company based out of Nashville. And that's what he was doing. And he told me point blank, Mr. Scott, nothing I'm learning here is going to prepare me for what I want to do after high school. And it, and I, and I don't say that to say we're not preparing kids for high school. I say that because this kid has a vision in the tech industry. And then it got me thinking, why could rural education with the power of broadband be churning out kids that could partner with software companies in Nashville or in Seattle or in blah, blah, blah. And why couldn't you make rural America very um, telework friendly so that, you know, you could have somebody living here in Webster County um, home office is based in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, guess what? He's going to get paid like he's living in Nashville, Tennessee. Then he comes back with that money. That paycheck is probably a substantial bit more than what other people in that community are earning. Now he's able to spend it in that community that helps everybody, but that starts from the school um, training these kids for really where our, 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 our future of, of work is going. So why is that not happening? That's my question. I had a conversation today. So here's what I propose. And maybe this sounds crazy. Maybe I sound like some kind of Elon Musk figure, like (laughs) talking about going to Mars or something. No, man, talk it up. The world only changes through big ideas. The world revolves around Silicon Valley, you know, all of these coders and programmers. We could have a silicon holler right here in Kentucky. <laughs> That's right. Amen. We could. Amen. You know, and and COVID has changed so much of this. So much yeah. of our work has gone online and remote. There is no reason why we couldn't be partnering our phenomenal high school students with those software programmers and developers in these places, except for a lack of will. Yeah. It's just a lack of will. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, 
it's those negative perceptions about what people in rural communities are capable of. Amen. Yeah, I think because right. think about think about how people from Appalachia are portrayed in our media and yep. movies and television and just broader rural Americans, right? Uh, you hear characters with funny Southern accents who they talk the way I talk, right? <laughs> um, and what's the stereotype behind that? If you have a Southern accent, you have yep. some kind of country twang or little draw. You're less educated. You're ignorant. Yeah, right. That's the stereotype. Um, it's not true. You know, no. our, our accents don't define us, whether that's a Kentucky draw like mine or, you know, an Appalachian draw, they don't define us. That's exactly and right. if, if we gave people in rural communities, those opportunities, then, then they could live up to those opportunities. I think, man, I think that is a, um, quote that we need to end this on because it, 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 it is right. Um, Okay, I'm going to ask you to say that again. If we gave those kids the opportunity, what was that? They could live up to those opportunities. They could live up to those opportunities. Ooh, that's deep, but it's true. Yeah, they've got the smarts. They can learn the skills. And Sometimes the they will. just need people to believe in them. And they've got the will. You know? Okay, my man. Um. There is somebody out there, and I would imagine there are about 10, 20 people out there listening that want to connect with Garris, um, whether you're in the rule, whether you're not, whether you just want to pick his brain, talk more about this topic, um, because it's definitely one that needs to be talked about. Um, gosh, yes, needs to be talked about. So, Garris, how can my friends out there who's listening get a hold of you? The quickest and easiest way is to follow me on Twitter at Garris Stroud. That's G-A-R-R-I-S-S-T-R-O-U-D altogether. You can read my writing about rural America and rural schools at ruraledvoices.org. And if you're in Kentucky or you just want to learn more about the best state uh, in the <laughs> union, KentuckySchoolTalk.org also houses a lot of my written work about Kentucky education policy so be sure to uh, go on to either of those and read what I have to say and engage with me. Tweet at me. Tell me what you think. I live for this stuff. Absolutely, man. Dude, it's been really awesome to connect with another supporter of rural America. Another guy that is literally living in the same trenches I'm living in um, just a couple counties away. Um, yeah, it's nice to meet you, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an absolute pleasure. Anytime I get to talk about rural America and be an advocate for our kids and our schools and our communities. And you know, what makes it even better is when I find other like-minded people uh, to do the same thing with. And so it's been great to connect with you, Ryan. Absolutely, man. Um, so you've got a friend. So if you need anything, um, if you get bored, decide you want to drive to Henderson, hit me up. We'll have a pint. All right, man. We'll do dinner right. sometime or something yeah, like that. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, to my listeners out there on the Big Ed Idea podcast, um, as I love to say, and I hope you don't get tired of me saying this, I appreciate you. Um, you have no idea. Um, kind of, you know, like Garris talked about, during the pandemic, we got a little bored. Um, he took up the banjo. I took up podcasting. And for those of you that have tuned in, I sincerely appreciate your time 
Um, time is finite. So anytime you spend it on something, you are giving that thing a little bit of love. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Ryan C. Scott, 1981. You can find me on Instagram at Ryan Scott, 1981. Um, my website just dropped. Um, whenever I find some time, I'm going to make some tweaks to it, but that is Ryan Scott Um, and then I think that's about it. Oh, be looking for my book. Um, I've got to turn that in, in December and it will be out about a year from now. And it is all about how to build the hope, how to increase the hope coefficient that all of our kids have with within themselves. And so once again, thank you for being on the big Ed idea podcast. And uh, just like John Janoski, my grandpa, who was six foot six, was a Polish uh, man from the coal mines of Western Virginia. Um, he always said, Ryan, I will see you in the funny paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>